Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is Oxen, aka Rady Pete, Katie Kim and Percolators Spud and Ellie. They've just released their debut album, CYRM, I think they're pronouncing it Serum, and it's out on Clada Records. It's only six tracks long, but the shortest one is nearly five minutes, and the longest is the almost 13-minute Farmer in the City, a Scott Walker cover which closes the record. It's one of a couple of covers or reworkings on the album, and we're going to talk through them all with the band today. All four members on Zoom. We'll hear clips from the Fire Draw Near podcast, Andy the Doorbums version of The Cruel Mother, Landless's version of The Trees They Grow Tall, the original Katie Kim version of The Feast from 2012's Cover and Flood album, and Maya Sophia's The Wife of Michael Cleary, which after you hear Oxen's version as well, it feels like a modern classic. Both versions are just something else. They're just so good. You can get all of these tracks at the artist's various Bandcamp pages and you can listen to Fire Draw Near wherever you get your podcasts and you can buy Serum at oxenmusic.com. Before we get into it, before we move on, I've started a Substack. It's basically a newsletter that you can sign up to for free and it'll arrive in your inbox every Sunday thereabouts that's what I'm doing at the moment it's basically long interviews with artists you might have heard them on this podcast before maybe you didn't listen to those episodes but you want to go back and read it there's going to be some music recommendations in there occasionally as well I just thought it's a nice way to maybe keep in touch just in case Twitter goes under you know yourself uh yeah you can sign up again for free at tpoe.substack.com now You'll hear at the start of our conversation with Oxen, Rady Pete talking about how she and Katie Kim got together for Music Town in Dublin in 2018. She mentions Jonathan Pearson, who is the artist and festival manager, creative producer and curator at Islander, and he runs the Quiet Lights Festival as well. He's a friend of the show too, so I asked him for his recollections of how Rady and Katie came to work together. So we'll listen to John first and then we'll cut hopefully seamlessly into the chat with Oxen. So in terms of putting Katie and Rady together for the first time, I had worked with Katie Kim um, with Crash Ensemble when I was managing Crash Ensemble and um, working with Katie and her manager Barry was great. And I was obviously a big Lancome fan and I thought it would be an interesting proposal to put the two of them in a room for a week and see what happened with John Spud Murphy, the engineer. Dublin City Council were doing a very interesting uh, festival, which they continue to this day, called Music Town. And they were basically asking people to submit project proposals for innovative new performance opportunities to get funded. So I contacted the two musicians and we got enough funding for them to spend a week the three of them in a room in Dublin and coming up with a set we put on the show in Music Town both myself and uh, Barry Lennon Katie's manager uh, ran the show and we put it on at Music Town in the Pepper Canister and it was a huge success uh, both creatively and commercially because it sold out it was obviously in high demand and creatively it was beautiful. It was 
mostly lit by candlelight, very dark, very gothic. It was a really beautiful experience. And then when I founded Quiet Lights in Cork that same year, 2018, I um, had that as the very first headline show of Quiet Lights, which was in a small chapel up the north side in St. Luke's. That was how it started in 2018. So it's been going a while now. And it's so great to see how the project has fleshed out and brought on amazing new members and just uh, has a life of its own. And now there's an album coming out, which I can't wait to hear. It's really fun to think that what what could have just been a, a one-off gig in the Pepper Canister in a Music Town five years ago is now a new band releasing one of the most anticipated albums of the year in Ireland. That's pretty cool. Do you want to maybe start by talking about the beginning of Oxen? It sounds like it was Katie and Rady's idea maybe initially back in 2018. Yeah, so me and Katie got kind of set up on a uh, a date basically music date <laughs> by John person as part of I think music town it was like what if you did a collab kind of I think it was only meant to be on like one song or two songs and then we do a solo set and we had never really like obviously had never really tried like I had kind of mostly just collaborated with Lancome and like other folk people or whatever and so we didn't know what we were going to find when we started trying to do stuff together and actually we found it clicked really fast and we got really excited about it. So we instead decided to do a full collaborative show then. So we put together what is essentially the bones of this album now is Oxen. That so that that's when we selected most of the tracks that are um uh, on this album and we did it twice. We did it once in Dublin and once in Cork, but it was it was very different because it was just me and Katie. So it was just two people and you know, just uh, like more stripped back kind of than what had become Oxen. Cormac did feature in the Dublin one. Cormac Dermody played with us, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, sorry, we had, there was one track that was then later put on a Lancome album instead. But, um, uh, yeah, and then during lockdown, we all lived beside each other and me and Ellie were already playing. Ellie was playing with me on solo material because uh, I was meant to be doing solo gigs that then got cancelled and stuff. So me and Ellie were playing together and Katie and Ellie had played together previously and Spud lived with Katie and was in the next room when we were practising. And so it all was very... It made a lot of sense to just everyone just play together. What were you talking about when you were playing together? Was it just like, let's go back to that initial set that we did in Cork and Dublin? Were you thinking bigger? I think we, like, I think we were just excited to to add to it and to build to it. Like I was um, kind of saying last day, it was like, I don't know, like you hadn't really worked with like building on synth, like synthesizer kind of sonics yeah. at the time. So we kind of thought that like the songs... Like we were really happy with the way they were arranged and the way they sounded, but we were like, oh, I wonder how it would sound if we, you know, brought in percussion and brought in some synthesizers and brought in like bigger sounds, you know? Because they were, they were suited to that as well. Like, although I really like, and I actually still like listening occasionally to the really paired back versions because mm-hmm. they were kind of a bit more intimate or whatever. Like they were definitely like fertile songs for like just adding loads of like mad texture to yeah, as you say, like more electronic, like synth and like definitely the drums start just as soon as Ellie started playing on the tracks, it just like changed the whole mm. world. It was just better, <laughs> just better basically. Yes. More exciting. So yeah, we were really, because I think both myself and Katie were quite sort of disappointed that, because we put in a huge amount of work to get that show together. You know, you're talking months of work for essentially what was two gigs, you know, and no recording. And then life, you know, then kind of took over. Like Katie was doing, working and doing her Katie Kim 
um albums and shows and then I was doing Lancome stuff and it was just really hard to even think of getting it you know like together to even do a gig together and then actually during the pandemic because we had time and we lived around the corner from each other we were like you know what I've always been disappointed that we didn't kind of continue with that collaboration and kind of bring it to what is I think it's logical conclusion which is like fully arranging it recording it and releasing it as an album you know what I mean yeah and it was kind of a case of literally just like grabbing the closest people to us who happen to be also our friends and also people that we really liked working with and that we're really comfortable working with as well like I don't know like but I'm I'm just really comfortable working with Ellie and Spud and I became really comfortable working with Radio over the time that we got working together so it was just really nice and like relaxed to be able to just like spout out ideas and just you know run with it you know so Ellie and Spud were you guys there for that first show were you like a little yeah did it take you a while to figure out what what you were kind of going to add to Rady and Katie's sound I suppose um well Spud was really familiar with it because he did sound for that Dublin show in the was it Pepper Canister Mm. Pepper Canister and for Cork as well. yeah and I was there I was in the back row of all women that I'd been out with that day and we were all holding hands together (laughs) (laughs) and like just really really feeling it we were really drunk but it was as drunk as we were, it was one of the most memorable gigs I'd ever been to. And I had no inclination then of ever being a part of that. It was a good while after that I started doing a, like preparing for Rady's solo stuff. And then the idea of doing that material was actually very exciting because I obviously enjoyed it the first time I heard it. <laughs> I think I remember it was during lockdown and I just happened, I was walking down like towards Drumcondra from Fibsborough and I just saw Rady and Ellie walking together and I was like, what are you two doing? <laughs> you do they were like, nothing? What? Nothing? And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was just really excited by the fact that they were like starting to do stuff together. So that was really exciting. Sorry, you weren't even asking me the question. I just thought, of, I just yeah. thought about that when Ellie started talking. Sorry. Yeah, because that, that's what like, so we like even before we decided that Ellie like should should join the me and Katie material, like me and Ellie, we, we were getting together like a full set for my solo stuff for gigs that were meant to happen. And there was a bit of crossover there because I was I we played Love Henry. Yeah. As part of a solo, it was done in the National Control, but as part yeah. of a stream. And as soon as I heard the drums on it, um, I was like, oh, that that really needs those drums. Like that really knocks it into a totally different realm. And it, I just thought it added so much doom and atmosphere. Mm. Um, you know, so I was like, okay, we need to we need to get yeah. this going. Just took away the question from Spud. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Spud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like I did I did sound for the, the first gig, obviously, but then when the girls were rehearsing for the even for that nch gig when it was just mm. the uh, ellie and uh rady i was in here mixing something at the time so it was kind of eavesdropping throughout the day listening to what they were doing and you know ha- had a couple of ideas or whatever and then yeah like i think then when we got together it came or when i added got added in it, it kind of just it didn't take very long for it to mm-hmm. to work and gel together and make sense were you thinking of like your other projects at all while you were making the album? Were you kind of thinking we don't want it to sound like Katie Kim, like Lancome, like Percolator? Or were you not thinking about that at all? It was its own thing. I didn't even. I don't think it came to mind for me as well. It's more like you're not really thinking about your other projects because for me, it was more like enjoying the aspects of this collaboration that 
have no place in my other work, if you know what I mean, because like you're like, oh, let's actually go for this. Like, let's make it sound synthy. Let's mm. make it, you know what I mean? So like what drew me to it was the differences anyway, you know, and essentially what you can do here that you can't do elsewhere or like, you know, it's just like it's a it's a different thing. Yeah. And I think that's the same for you. For me, working with like traditional traditional songs like I never ever would have had approached that before so like working with traditional songs and rearranging them and stuff like that like that was just really interesting to watch that process and watch Rady go through that process then be involved in it so like I'm definitely completely outside of Katie Kim world when I'm involved in that because I'm just really interested in how that's all working and how the cogs of that all work you know and with that part later, but... oh, it's totally different to part later like yeah you have to just turn that off. Yeah, and I'm sure the way that they work in Percolator as well is kind of a different format as to how we would probably have approached things. I don't know, but... Mm. Yeah, we shoot on the Percolator rhythm in so We do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there, is, there is a little bit of Percolator. In there. <laughs> but that's the thing, there's a little bit of everything in mm. all of us, you know what I mean? Like, you can hear, like, I think all of our other projects make sense. Like, if you heard, if you'd never heard anything we've ever done, right, you heard Oxen First... And then you went and listened to, to Katie Kim, Lancome and Percolator. I think it would all, you'd hear the seeds of it in, mm. in Oxen anyway. It sounds like you recorded it during the pandemic and now it's finally coming out in um, the end of October 2023. Did you kind of sit on it for a while? Was it nice kind of going back and listening to it and getting it ready for release? Did you kind of have to sit on it for a while before you thought about doing something with it? I had a baby. So okay, congratulations. Uh, yeah, like it was just like we recorded it all before I got pregnant and then I got pregnant and then I had to record a Lancome album and a soundtrack and try record my solo album. I didn't manage all of it. Yeah. And then we mixed when I had I already had a newborn, I think, when we were mixing and we were kind of mixing remotely, partly and used it a lot of the mixing because these guys all have way better ears than me, basically. So uh, for mixing. So we like that was true that was kind of coming out of the pandemic restrictions but I had a newborn baby and so we we were kind of slow enough with that and we wanted to get it right and you know like also it's just great that like now that we're actually releasing it now and it's a bit later um we can actually do gigs and you know I feel like we um can give it the, the proper time you know what I mean now in 2023 just because post pandemic everybody had to kind of start working again and picking up where they left off and like you know trying to gather everything back into like into the basket again like I mean it was kind of like once the restrictions were lifted like you did have a lot of shit to do on top of also having like a child but then there was also backlogs of work for you like there was work yeah. for Ellie there was like I was bringing that out of the ox as well there was loads of different stuff she's like Lanka we're going on a big tour yeah we, we were also mixing false Lanka and we had to bring that out as well so like it, yeah it was a huge amount of stuff, in with a lot of stuff. yeah yeah but was it nice coming back to it then at at the end of the day when you when you I, did decide? Oh, oh yeah, we we have that album, don't we? I I I'm really proud of it. I love it. Like I'm I, I'm I'm just gonna like yeah, actually be be that person who says I love the album we've made. I actually love it. <laughs> uh, let's talk through the songs on the album. I suppose maybe first we should talk about. It seems like there's this overarching idea behind the album where it seems like it's kind of reclaiming maybe reclaiming is the wrong idea is is there an idea kind of linking all of the songs together it seems like it's about women um kind of female focused and maybe 
repressed throughout history is is that am i on the right path there with it in that very bad explanation um yeah and like we're i'm, I'm not going to offer an, a better sentence than that really because it's kind of a bit of a loose idea and really the the music is meant to kind of speak for itself in that but we the original gigs were built as a night of musical stories and we did select the narratives of each mm. songs deliberately yeah so we like kind of had a chat about what might what the world might contain and what kind of an atmosphere and world it is but there is definitely like a vein of like you know strong female narrative ostracized women as well baddies as well villainous women um, yeah that, that's what we kind of thought was nice was like like there is like there there is oppression there and stuff with them of course like as is always the case um but like the love henry though is about love like, henry and also the trees she was the one that was kind of you know yeah, the trees and love Henry. They're yeah, they're 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 kind of the well. bodies, Yeah, yeah. We we did deliberately um lean towards those narratives, and honestly, I've always had a bit of like that. That's probably to do with um like I when I'm collecting folk songs, like I do find those ones with the kind of strong female narrative and kind of subversive kind of female narratives uh, more appealing than like your standard. Uh, murder ballad where it's just like a man murders a woman because he got her pregnant or like you know uh, about a woman being really beautiful and having a lovely time you know what I mean like <laughs> a lovely top or you know what I mean like, kind of I find more interesting I suppose if they've got a bit of like grit and the fairest lady in the land she was a Uh, Cruel Mother is the opening track on the album, a long one. Uh, I'm presuming that this is one of uh, your selections, uh, Rady. It's a track, but is it a track by Andy the Doorbum? I was trying to find it so yesterday. Andy I couldn't the find the, the original. Yeah, you won't. The only place you can actually listen to Andy the Doorbum's version of it is on a Fire Draw Near episode. And I think he recorded it for Ian. So I heard Andy perform it just in a room uh, in, in Ireland uh, years ago. And essentially what he had done was he had adapted the American versions of the Krill Mother. Uh, so he'd taken like all that imagery, um, like the oak, the thorn and the bell, all of that is in the American versions. But he'd um, put his own arrangement on it in terms of melody and which verses came when and he changed some of the lyrics. And I actually thought that I'd been looking for a version of the Krill Mother that I wanted to sing like I was well aware of the cruel mother I had listened to all of the versions and I hadn't really found one that I loved and then I heard Andy's version and I was like okay I really love that and I asked him would it be okay if I sang it and he said yeah once the fairest lady in the land she was all Mary. 
so then I ended up putting a guitar arrangement on it. I think before I was chatting to Katie about doing things, I was thinking of doing it on my own, but I just couldn't figure out what to do with it apart from the guitar arrangement and the, and the melody. And then, yeah, brought it to you and we and then it started to click from there. And then obviously when Ellie and Spud came on board, it turned into like this like crazy rock odyssey. Um, And then with Alwyn involved in the video, I just love the trajectory of that. So it goes from me hearing Andy singing it in a tiny room in, in Limavadi outside Derry to like the video is like the culmination of all of that. So. Yeah, I think Ellie went out a bit of a wormhole as well, going into all the like symbolism and imagery for that whole yeah. thing as well. Yeah, the ostrich egg. There is that moment that you talked about where, uh, like, I, I I have it like at seven seven minutes ten seconds where things like really take a turn in this song. Is that the influence of kind of percolator of Ellie and Spud coming yes, in there? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But also, I think we're channeling a little bit of beak there as yeah, well. Yeah, don't say it. I, I've said it. It's out there now. We all love beak. <laughs> okay, it's the beak <laughs> part. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Okay, fine. It's beak. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the trees they do grow high. This is one of your songs, Katie. The trees they do grow high. The leaves they do grow green. Sounds like quite a heavy song lyrically. Where where did you get this one? Is it an original? Well, actually, there's no, 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 no. It's not an original at all. It's a That's traditional traditional song. Landless sing a version of this song as well. Yeah. Yes, actually, we saw Landless singing a version of that in that church stuff. Yeah, uh, I remember it was an amazing version they did. Um, but very different. Very different. Yeah. There are loads and loads of different versions of that song. Like just Google it. Like if you even go to Wikipedia, I think there's probably something like two hundred versions of it or something like that. The- Trees they grow tall and the grass it grows green. The time has come and passed, my love, since you and I have been.
no, to be honest with you, it was like there was a Joan Baez version that I heard that I really liked. And um Uh, so I was really I really enjoyed the the Joan Baez version of it and just just the way that she kind of told the story so I mean when we were going through songs like we were rewriting the lyrics anyway which is something that tends to happen anyway where we're like this sounds a bit clumsy what if it's Mm. just like this so you're kind of rewriting any of the versions you have anyway yeah yeah, um, and then kind of yeah, and once you start doing it, like you end it end up it ends up just kind of taking on its own form. Anyway. And there were two people in the room and two people working on it together. Then it just kind of does take its own form. But I mean, predominantly, I was just working. We were just putting everything down on the piano, yeah. anyway. So everything kind of started off with the piano, and it just kind of sounded right to kind of keep that arrangement with it. So yeah, it just kind of stemmed from that. It was just a song that I came across. Joan Baez doing and just really liked and thought it would suit the theme but for once you know it's kind of you know this boy dying um yeah after she, getting this woman who's like twice his age pregnant basically you know yeah uh, I and I actually always loved the the trees they grow high or my bonnie boy was young but he's growing or there's, there's loads of different versions of it mm-hmm. and I uh love the landless version and I I when we were talking about it I was also showing you the Martin Carthy version of it so it's like yeah it's an amalgamation of a load of different kind of versions and again that's kind of what's happened with pretty much all of the folk songs on this album as well is that they are taken from like the likes of Love Henry is taken from a Judy Henske version of that song but then it is changed um and like it's you're doing a lot of editing on the on lyrics and melody and all that kind of stuff because you're trying to make it fit into this thing that you know isn't really like we're not we're not a folk band so um you know it sometimes it needs kind of editing to make it a bit kind of snappier or like you know to a lot sometimes verses are getting cut out as well and you know changed around so there's a lot of um adapting going on probably even more than happens in Lancome I would say Love Henry is the first song that you put out uh, at the start of summer, I feel, or just in the middle of summer, like so much going on in the track. Was it a hard one to kind of finish off? Was it an, or was it just like a lot of fun to work on? That was an easy one, wasn't it? Oh, Love Henry, Love Henry's great crack. So much fun. I can't come in. I found that one just like really enjoyable and uh, I love the trajectory of that as well because that originally was like me and Katie in Katie's bedroom and we were like what if because we were listening to Laurie Anderson oh Superman and we were like you know that ah 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 like yeah that happens in and we're like let's do something like that and then but also like because the loop station was just there and I was like oh we have to try and do something with it like we have to try and do something with yeah. it live or whatever and then it ended also, up also you're very good at loops so we ended up just kind of sounding almost just kind of like Laurie Anderson in the end a little I don't bit think it sounds anything, I don't, I'm not sure it sounds anything like it but that's a good thing <laughs> but, but I do remember the exact moment when we were, we were kind of working on it because originally 
I think I I had started it and I was like, this doesn't sound right at all. I don't think it should be me. And I think. Oh, I, yeah, you sang. So yeah. the 80s sang the melody of it. And it was a little bit more kind of bluesy sort of um, in the in the first few shows. <laughs> but like it, right. it sounded different because like obviously I have my own wonky voice. That, yeah. Uh, you know, but I do it remember- sounded a lot smoother and nicer, basically. Yeah. But I do remember you were in the kitchen and I was just trying to work something out because it was kind of it, it was nice. Like, you know, we were happy with it or whatever. But I do remember you were in the kitchen and then I just kind of started like bashing on the on the piano to uh, really low notes and you just came like legging it into the bedroom and you're like what is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was like it's literally just yeah. one <laughs> yeah we're just playing what's what doing over and over but yeah, yeah. And like the the bass like where the bass comes in like that was already in it yeah uh, from the first arrangement and that was so easy then to layer up as soon as and as I say I had done a version of that with Ellie for a solo gig and then it was just a total joy adding all the extra because they you know, it was there. It was it was there. You know, like it was obvious what had to happen, mm. and it had to be a big yeah. Like pattern. the swoopy, like for me, honestly, like the drums and the swoopy moog for me yeah, just really, moog, really yeah. made it like love that the best. Don't get me laughed at so much yeah. the first time. We yeah, in. very dramatic swoopy moog, but I I still love that. Like I still love listening to it. So, and it's really good fun for life. It is yeah. The Feast is a Katie Kim original adapted from your uh, 2012 double album cover and Flood. Why did you go back to this song, Katie? I just thought that the the kind of the story behind it, like like that was like the Feast was kind of it's partly inspired by this um, character called Euclid that Nick Cave wrote about in his book, The Ass or the Angel. And that kind of the, the whole book has this kind of like... Uh, kind of traditional style history like it uh, history like in my head like the, the imagery of it just kind of really suited the world that we were kind of creating in the album as well so I just kind of thought that the the feast well I mean actually it was you Rady that suggested that we do the feast and I kind of fought it for a little and then I was like actually no out of everything it kind of it fitted the world it fitted the, the narrative was, I, I love the song The Feast and I it, it was like I love the imagery in it and I think we were also talking about how it would be very interesting to revisit one of Katie's songs you know what I mean I was and, forced to have to say I didn't I didn't she suggest was it forced. yeah she's totally forced she's like I don't like that song or something like that well it's I didn't really song. I didn't know if my songs really should feature at all like I thought it was a, a nice trajectory of just like having just traditional songs uh, like at the time and then Rady kind of insisted when we were originally doing them together. They're very bossy. <laughs> so so it's just like, oh, go on, go on. Then. <laughs> but I think that that's an interesting thing to do, though, as well, is to in- yeah. revisit a song that has ha- had its kind of, you know, its finish and it's, you know, it, it, it's become its own thing. And then to like revisit and kind of because it had to be different to do it with yeah. both of us and then with all of us. It had to be a different version of it. And the thing is, is that I like people because I'm a folk singer like I'm used to that happening you know that there isn't one definitive version of a song you take it you remold it you remold it like over and over again so that seemed like a natural thing to do out of the boat on that day we went walking we looked at the stars and we saw I'm right on the reeds We grabbed up the old walls on our knees where they buried them 
Michael Cleary I know this song really well it's a it's a Maya Sophia song and a really recent song as well like as in released only in the past like five years how did you go about making that your own was that just a similar thing really that it just came naturally to you just like sing over it and kind of like eventually kind of making it your own so I think Maya Sophia is a brilliant songwriter I think she's just brilliant Mm. and one of the first times I saw her she performed this song and I was like She's after writing a brilliant song that is absolutely brilliant. And then um, Katie heard it with me. We were we were me and Katie were performing with Adrian Crowley for an album launch of his, and Maya did support. And she, Katie t- had the same experience of the song where she was like, "Jesus Christ, it's such a good song." The lyrics and the whole story of Bridget Cleary fits in perfectly with what we were talking because we were rehearsing for mm. her gig at the time. We we're like, "Oh my god, that totally fits. That would totally fit." And then the approach is like, yeah, like essentially it's what I like what you tend to do or what I'm used to doing with folk songs, which is that you you strip it down to bare essentials, you take it down to its bones, and then you reassemble it in whatever way feels natural to you and feels like you're not imitating what you've heard before. You need to like get it down to its bare bones, think about what it's about, and then start assembling a new life for it, you know. Stars clinch like cleavers, my love. It was only a fever. I swear, I tried to get clean, but it keeps the back to us.
and Farmer in the City is the final one, just about 13 minutes long. It's a cover of a Scott Walker song and ye make it maybe apocalyptic is the word that comes to mind. Was that the plan all along that you were going to like have this really long outro? It was going to be like just taking this this song and just making it like, I don't know. <laughs> well, the apocalyptic. Second, the second part of that song, we kind of look at it like, almost kind of like a separate song. Um, um, so we just kind of had fun after the the initial part of it, kind of just building on it and building on it and building on it. And like that again, for, I don't know why. Like I, 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 I'm, I love that song, Farmer and City. I'm just in love with it, and I love Scott Walker. And I just thought again at those gigs when we had to pick solo songs to do together, I just thought for some reason, and I don't know why, I just really fit the narrative again. Um, so yeah, it's just a case of it really worked with the guys and, you know, maybe with Katie Kim, I probably couldn't have gone as apocalyptic, I don't think maybe, but for this, I just thought it really, really suited. Have you thought about what's next for Oxen? Is it just like, do these live shows, get this album out, and then we'll, we'll see what happens? You're so busy with all of your own stuff as well. I have to see what happens. We kind of just have to see what happens. But I think that really, like, we're just uh, so looking forward to playing it live. You yeah. Know, we did our live stream, obviously, for mm-hmm. Nulla Gnaman, um, and that was really enjoyable, you know. But, like, I think really... Uh, we love playing this stuff. We get such a buzz out of playing it, you know. And so we're just delighted we're getting to do these the the three gigs, the Cork gig and the two Dublin gigs. And past that, we'll see where we go. Yeah. Um. Have you got more stuff like recorded or or kind of done demos or anything or stuff that we're thinking of performing at our gigs that isn't on the album, but um, not recorded, no. not recorded, no, no. And that would be down the line anyway, because as, as as we say, like you know. Things like are we're crazy. only releasing this album now, you know. <laughs> 